I'm Sydney. And I'm Bonnie. And this is Introduced from Wisconsin Sea Grant. We have some great episodes coming for you, but before that, we have a little appetizer. Shall we say a taste of what's to come? (laughs) Speaking of taste, did you know there's a lot of aquatic invasive species that you can eat? I would love to try red swamp crayfish, the infamous um, crayfish species that is invasive here in Wisconsin. Yeah, if we could just set up a crayfish boil, that would be really fun and I would I would come over. <laughs> we could do that in your backyard. <laughs> well, it's kind of illegal to um, <laughs> to have them here, but yeah, they're, I, I should say they're not invasive yet here in Wisconsin, but there have been some scares, um, but they're native to the Gulf Coast and they're, they're common in crayfish boils because they're really big and delicious. Also, water hyacinth, this invasive plant that grows in really dense mats on the top of the water. I guess the leaves can be steamed or sauteed, or you could take the bulb and you can roast it and deep fry it. Also, all of our French listeners will have to um, chime in and respond here, but I've heard that lamprey with suction cup mouths full of teeth, um, they're eaten in France. and. I've also heard that lamprey pie is an old English recipe. Also, Native American tribes on the Pacific coast eat sea lamprey. Well, yeah, and also um, when we talked to Kelsey Taylor from the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, she gave us this recipe for snail salsa, which she makes from introduced snails in the Lake Superior area. The fact that some of these species are edible and commonly eaten by people, it raises a lot of questions. For example, like the four species of invasive carp, silver bighead, black, and grass carp, they are super, super abundant in the places that they've been introduced to, like in the Midwest. So it's like they're a really abundant, accessible source of protein for people. So like, why let that all go to waste? Yeah, it's really frustrating to think about. But on the other hand, there are, a lot of people think that like we should not be trying to make these species like sustainable food resources. And like if you start to create a taste for any of these species, that could that could create a situation where maybe they're getting moved around and being spread to more places where they haven't been introduced yet. Yeah. Sometimes if we try removing a lot of a certain invasive species to bring the population down, it kind of backfires. Like removing a lot of species can then just open up more habitat and resources to the ones that are left, you know? So in some rare cases, invasive species have like rebounded to larger levels than they were before. That's so interesting. Bottom line is there are always consequences to things like this and yet takes a lot of forethought and yeah. yeah there's there's risk involved I guess learning from non-local beings and looking to their home ranges for guidance is a practice some indigenous cultures are advocating for some of the tribal knowledge holders we've talked to from around the upper Great Lakes are proponents of finding a use for beings if you have to remove them so what we're talking about is not a new idea and it's not an idea that we can really take credit for either. Yes. You know, I still don't ever want to see potential food going to waste when there are people that are hungry. 
And we see this all the time with aquatic invasive species management. Like one example that is so obvious to me is like the carp harvest. Exactly. When silver, bighead, black, and grass carp are harvested out of lakes and rivers that we don't want them in, they're usually used for things like dog food or fertilizer or bait for crabs or lobsters, which is good that they're not going to waste, but sometimes it ends up that they're just thrown out, like they're just thrown into dumpsters, these like tons and tons of fish. That's really ironic and kind of troubling because in their native range, these four fish species are a really popular and delicious food source for people. They're really prized culturally in China. Especially in the past, now still recently, um, people here view the silver cup and big cup, cup um, like you guys view chickens, you know, like beefs. <laughs> you know, that's that's very same. <laughs> that was Dr. Yushun Chen from Wuhan, China. When we talked to him for episodes four and five of Introduced. I wanted to get a taste of carp for myself. So we connected with Captain Nate Wallach, who runs Peoria Carp Hunters, which is this bow fishing charter down on the Illinois River. And so I made plans to go down there with um, a few of my friends. The part of the Illinois River that runs through Peoria has like the highest population density of silver and big head carp anywhere in the world, including the native range in China. So we went down to the river and we ended up going bow fishing with Captain Nate on his um, Carpocalypse pontoon, and that was a wild adventure. Um, we talked about that last episode. In the end, I did what I came to do, which was catch one carp. That's so exciting. Is this on? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I'm in my kitchen right now, and I'm, it's kind of loud. There are a lot of cars outside. Um, yeah, but I'm about to fillet my very first fish. I'm kind of scared, to be honest. I'm <laughs> a little nervous. So you had never filleted a fish before? No, this was my first one. Can't wait um, to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, and it was a carp, which I feel like is just the very worst place to start. <laughs> yeah, so like, if you're listening to this and you've filleted a lot of fish in your life, please don't make fun of me. I was just doing my best. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was... It was a whole process. And actually, I had two carp, so... <laughs> How did you end up having two carp? Um, I netted one, and my friend Allison got one with a bow and arrow. Mm. And she didn't want yeah. hers? No. <laughs> <laughs> she entrusted it to me. <laughs> so um, it's just past 6.30 um, at night when I get started. Traditionally, these carp are cooked whole. Yeah, I remember when I talked to Dwayne Chapman from the USGS and Yushun Chen, they both mentioned a dish called Big Head Carp Soup that is popular in China. Is that how you were making it? Yeah, no. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to try a little fish fry. <laughs> so um I had the carp like out in front of me on the kitchen counter, like kind of on this cooking sheet next to the sink. Um, I definitely did not have the right setup for any of this. I was borrowing my roommate's fillet knife. So I was on the counter next to my kitchen sink. The carp was like pretty big. It was like about as long as the cookie sheet I had it on and like kind of heavy. And it was just like lying there staring up at me. It was like weirdly intimate. 
I was warned that this carp was going to be really slimy and kind of bloody, but for the record, it's not. It's really clean. Okay, I have a tape measure. Snout to tail, this carp is, um, is 21 and a half inches. I don't know if that's big for a carp. I think relative to other fish, that is kind of large. Like, compared to a bluegill, that is quite large. Let me know <laughs> if I caught a big carp, okay? Yeah, wait, Bonnie, have you ever filleted a fish before? Um, I never have. Okay. I've, like, gone fishing and eaten fish that I've caught, but I guess there's always been someone, like, at this specific stage, mm. like, at this step, um... Like, for me, the fish has always just gone from the lake and then to my plate, and I am, like, removed <laughs> from this part. <laughs> yeah, right now, there's just, like, a huge fish in front of me, and I don't really know what to do with it, and I'm super nervous. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just... Ah! I just did it. Okay. Oh, I don't think I'm doing this right. So, um, like, this video I was watching, I was like, do it like how you would cut up a tilapia, and I was... Like, I obviously don't know how to do that. So <laughs> that turned into me going down this half an hour long rabbit hole of watching people like cutting up different types of fish. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so like at this point, my roommate, Lulu, she came downstairs and she gave me some moral support. And like, I can be kind of a perfectionist about stuff to the point where I like don't even want to start doing something because... I'm, like, too afraid of messing it up, and I was definitely feeling that way about, like, this fish, but, like, she kind of, like, helped me make peace with the fact that, like, it was not going to be perfect, and that was okay. <laughs> so I was just kind of, like, standing around for a really, really long time, trying to, like, get the nerve up to make the first cut. I found a YouTube video I'm going to watch real quick. Brian is going to go in, and he's going to make a cut very similar to how you would fillet a tilapia. <laughs> So I cut the first fillet off and I descaled it by sliding my knife like right underneath the skin and that kind of like got all the skin off. All right, for everyone keeping track, I've been doing this for roughly one hour. <laughs> I'm one side of one carp in. That's okay, the night is young. Getting a little hungry though. How was it taking a whole hour to, to do? <laughs> Funny, I don't know. It took so long. Um, so I wound up, it got faster. Like the first one definitely took the longest. <laughs> but I wound up with two fillets. I had one from each side of the fish. Yeah, carp are actually a pretty nutritious food, right? Like compared to most fish, they have a lot of protein and omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, and they're really clean. Like because they're just filtering tiny little organisms out of the middle of the water, they don't end up with as many contaminants in their body as like maybe a fish that bottom feeds or a fish that's higher in the food web eating a lot of other little fish. Right, like the fish that end up eating kind of off the bottom get a little bit of contaminants and then fish that eat them get a little bit more and the fish that eat them get a little bit more and that's called biomagnification. But carp, they are just, they're filtering plankton out of the water and sometimes eating vegetation as well. So they're not getting those contaminants. Yeah, like all the little fish you eat, they add up and humans mm -hmm. have to be careful of that too. One thing I read was 
that there is a stripe of red meat down the middle of the silver carp fillet. And when you think about like a fish having kind of like a pungent fishy taste, um, that is associated with that red meat. So like you cut out the red meat and then um, that's gone. And then also that red meat stores a lot of the contaminants that you'd be worried about. So I cut that part out. So I've heard that carp have a lot of really tiny, tiny bones in them. And I've heard that that kind of thing turns Americans off to the fish a little bit because apparently we're more picky about like no bones in the in the fillet. We want our fillets like boneless and pristine, but you know, plenty of people around the world eat these carp and you can just eat the bones because they're so tiny or you can like pick them out. So did you no- did you notice this about the fish? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was so <laughs> bony. And again, I don't really have like a huge frame of reference for this, right. but like, yeah, it, there were like a wild amount of bones in this fillet. Um, one thing though that like you can do that's a solution if you don't have the patience or like want to deal with this is you can just like grind the fillet up and like there's nothing wrong with eating the bones other than the fact that they're pointy (laughs) so once it's all ground up you can use that in like fish tacos or as a fish fillet i didn't have the tools to do that though but Mm. i probably would have there are so many bones that was the other thing that i was warned about and that was not an exaggeration yeah, I was pulling out these tiny bones that were like the thickness of a strand of hair. And that was probably what was taking me the longest. Like the filleting didn't take that long, but like picking the bones out has been a process that I think I'm going to to abandon very soon and just eat around the bones. So as I'm getting ready to start on the second fish, my roommate Ben got home. And Ben actually knows like a ton about fishing and he's basically a trout whisperer. Um, so I was kind of hoping that I could convince him to clean out, to like prepare the second cart for me. <laughs> Is this what you were expecting? I wasn't, I don't know. It looks like it's heads on upside down. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't expecting this to happen inside when I, when I heard this <laughs> happen. I was like, if Sydney wants to do that, we can do it out on the porch. Oh. But. <laughs> Do you have any words of advice for me? <laughs> I would love to watch. <laughs> but Ben also just like started rolling up his sleeves and I passed him the fillet knife and <laughs> he did get started. Um, even though I kind of ambushed him <laughs> with that. And he had a way different approach than me and he made it look like really easy and effortless. When was the last time you filleted a fish? Um, probably like a month ago. What was it? A brown trout. Where'd you get it? Uh, undisclosed location. (laughs) I don't know who's gonna hear this. Ben said that this was trickier than brown trout though because of all the bones. Fun for you or is this like a chore? No, this is fun. It's just kind of like interacting with the food that you're gonna eat. Yeah. And like kind of just seeing the process. And kind of just makes you think that like this happens every time you eat fish, but you don't really think about it. Yeah, the whole process. I thought the process was going to take like 10 minutes um, and then we'd be eating dinner. 
Uh, and Ben said that that happened the first time he filleted a fish, too. Okay, the first <laughs> fish that I ever filleted was a walleye that I caught on a study break in finals week, sophomore year. And we were going to go fishing for like 20 minutes and then go back to the library. Then we caught like all these walleye and then Gus taught me how to fillet them. And then like four hours later, we had fish fry <laughs> and we didn't study. I have no regrets at all because that put me on a path to where I am now filleting this fish. That led to a summer of a lot of fish eating. So at this point, my other roommate, Max, came home. I started mixing up beer batter, and then I put him in charge of the fry. <laughs> so I was dipping, and he was frying. And I also roasted some potatoes and sautéed some red cabbage. So how long has it been at this point since you started? It's been about four hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is 10.15, and we are about to start frying. And yeah, so at this point, like, everyone else is on their way up to bed, so it's just me and Max, and um, we're the only people left in the kitchen, like, five hours later when all the food is ready. <laughs> I asked Max what he thought. It was really tender. Um, it was a little bony, but, um, you know... <laughs> Good, good fish. I, would, I can't remember the last time I had like a good fish fry. Do you think you need it again? Definitely. It was a little, it was a little bony. But. Put in exactly zero effort into <laughs> taking the bones out. Oh no, actually, that's not true. I'll give myself some credit. I deboned half of a fillet, and then I decided <laughs> that that would be a problem for future studies. <laughs> so did you? eat the bones and like what was it like was it just like a little bit of crackly or um you can tell when you're eating them because they're kind of sharp so i would just like spit them out but that did turn mm. into me like very carefully chewing and then mm. <laughs> yeah it was super good though and it felt like really rewarding to have done the whole thing and seen this cart from like start to finish lulu also came downstairs and she snagged a few potatoes Loved every second of it, to be honest with you. I've taken a, a very, uh, it's been a very backseat experience for me, but, but I've loved riding in the back. So I thought the carp was really good, which had me kind of surprised. One, because I felt like there had to be a reason why I don't hear about more people eating carp. Like, that's not more wide, like, mainstream here. Um, I felt like there should be, like, a reason for that, and I don't know what that reason could be because it was really good. And then I was also surprised because it was really good, and I was the one who, like, prepared it, and I had absolutely no idea <laughs> what was going on. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just foolproof. <laughs> Anyone can do it. Um, or you're a natural chef. <laughs> or that. You really had a team of like roommates there like at your beck and call. Like, yeah, to, I was pretty lucky. <laughs> to prepare this meal. Yeah, I, I don't think like anyone really was like too stoked to come home and have me with this, with two like large fish in the kitchen. <laughs> but um, yeah, everyone was pretty generous <laughs> with their time. And it, it was fun. We all like had some good laughs about it. And in you know, the whole four hours it took me to get this fish ready, I did have some time to really think about it, and I found myself getting really mad and frustrated. 
to like think about potentially how undervalued these fish are and how we could be like easily connecting these fish to people who need them and we're not doing that really. I know I just get the sense that a lot of these fish get wasted when they get removed from the river. As I was eating the fish I was just thinking about that and it was kind of like really making me mad um, and also a little bit ashamed to think about like how these fish are so valued in their home range and here we just like are kind of disrespectful of them. Yeah I I get that. Dwayne from the USGS was saying that he's tried to kind of educate people on carp and that they're a really delicious food and he'll give people a sample of fish and they'll say it's really good and then he'll say that this is carp and people will like spit it out you know they're not they're probably not trying to be disrespectful but you know these fish are delicious they're nutritious they're abundant they're um, culturally revered in their home range and we can be kind of you know disrespectful to them maybe just because they're like outsiders and it feels really irresponsible to let any of these fish go to waste, you know, and and they are used for things like they are used for fertilizer. They're good for dogs to eat as well. So that's good. But, you know, I think we're I wouldn't want to exclude some ways of giving getting people nutrition, you know. And then also what Ben was saying about the process, like knowing what this step, the step that I feel like I've always been removed from knowing what that step is and like being present to it and like witnessing it that felt really powerful to me and me too there are a million reasons why it's important to know where your food and especially your meat comes from like it's easy to buy meat I think and like not consider that this like came from something that was alive and like <laughs> yeah that that whole thing yeah that story just becomes infinitely more complicated when what you're eating is a quote-unquote invasive species these fish, how they got here, and like what, what that means. We have met so many people whose lives have been transformed in some way by silver carp, like the engineers and the scientists and the people who work in like these commercial and recreational harvest industries, um, and the people whose lives have been like kind of upended by the fact that these fish just have like kind of free reign of the rivers. Rivers that have a completely new ecology now because the fish is in them. and all the money and investment that's gone into transforming places along the rivers. I'm thinking about like the, the cart barricade, just to make sure that this fish doesn't spread any further. All of that feels contained in the fish that's just sitting on my counter. Mm. And so I was like thinking about that a lot as I was, I was cutting it. And I hadn't really reflected on like the way all of those pieces and stories kind of fit together until, until then really. Also, like these ideas that we've been talking about, a lot of indigenous people and groups are like at the forefront of this idea of when something non-native is introduced, you know, finding a way to learn from that species, finding a way to use that species for the benefit of people. Like Kelsey and the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, finding a way to control these really abundant nuisance snails that were in their lake and figuring out how to use them for other purposes. Many tribes in the Upper Great Lakes are already doing this work. And I think that if we were really to explore making introduced species a more readily available food source, we need to follow their lead. My name is Sarah Smith. 
Uh, I'm from the Oneida Nation in Wisconsin. We had a relevant conversation that I remember back in episode nine with Sarah Smith. If you need a refresher, Sarah talked about a story she heard about introduced cattails. And I know one elder was talking about invasive cattails and instead of, you know, digging them all up, going to burn them, you know, maybe we should learn, you know, what they could be used for. We should learn from them um, instead of raging a, a war on the species and the beings out there that aren't originally from here. Buju, get the kabuju, nanishina kaza, shija kendu dam, we kweda on gudo jibano jibano shnabe in Indian Dow. My name is Jerry Jandro. Um, I'm from the Kiwana Bay Indian community. And we also talked to Jerry Jandro. He reminded us that non-local beings are indigenous to some place. They're local to some place. Um, they're indigenous to a place. And there are people there that have a better understanding of who that being is. And so instead of just initially saying, well, you know, you're not from here, you don't belong here. Uh, we're going to we're going to rip you up and, and throw you away. Um, why don't we have like cultural transmissions and, and cultural um, migration as well, right? If there's a new being that comes into to our, our forests here, instead of just trying to rip them out and throw them away, you know, maybe go talk to the people that have a really good relationship with that tree species. Say, you know, how do you guys utilize this tree species, you know, or what does it do? You know, what are, what are some of the things that, um, that you could tell me about that tree that would, uh, you know, make it beneficial to our life and our existence? Jerry reminds us that transfers of knowledge between cultures should be approached respectfully because knowledge isn't something that should be extracted or demanded. In the year we've spent reporting on silver carp and other species of Asian carp, I've heard a lot of stories that have left me feeling pretty anxious about the future, afraid for the day when these fish might make it to the Great Lakes. But this fish was also dinner for four people, and now I feel way more connected to it, and also connected to this whole web of relationships. Silver carp are going to mean something different to everyone, but for me, the process also meant spending a day on a beautiful stretch of river with some of my closest friends, and then I got to cook the fish with all of my roommates. Um, and it was just a really lovely night and we all hung out and um, enjoyed this fish together. None of this outweighs the ecological harm that these fish are causing. And there is still so much at stake. But for the first time, I also felt gratitude. Introduced is produced and hosted by Bonnie Willison and Sydney Weidel. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with a friend. You can find Wisconsin Sea Grant on Twitter at Grant and on Facebook at University of Wisconsin Sea Grant and Water Resources Institute. We'd love to hear from you. Send in your questions and comments to bonnie at aqua.wisc.edu. You can listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Thanks for tuning in.